0: What does Motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of Motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. It's episode 57 of The Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now, let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me today and another edition of the Keto Hot Seat. Really looking forward to getting to all of your questions that were submitted. Gosh, it's been a while now, probably almost a month ago, but I'm still working my way through the over 100 questions that I got when I asked for the last round of hot seat questions. So we're going to get to lots of those hopefully today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. A few quick just kind of things to chat about. First of all, this weekend, I finally got around to watching The Magic Pill on Netflix, which I know probably most of you have already watched. I'm definitely late to the game and I knew about it for a really long time, but you know, I'm just not much of a movie watcher, which I don't know. I'm sure some of you can understand. I don't watch a whole lot of movies usually because I just like to do other things. I just don't have that long of an attention span to just sit and watch a movie and not be doing other stuff. So I have to be in a certain mood to be able to sit and actually not have my computer in front of me or a book or something else going on so that I can actually absorb the information. And I knew that's how it was going to be for the magic pill. So I wanted to wait until that moment. And this weekend was the moment because it was hot I wanted to relax inside where I had air conditioning. So that's what I did. And it was awesome. Definitely, if you have not already watched The Magic Pill, it is a documentary on Netflix specifically around the ketogenic diet. So the really low-carb, high-fat diet and kind of follows people around that are trying to use the diet for different health issues and basically over time how their health status changes. And of course, one of which was a little girl who had autism and epilepsy and just like it's just so heartwarming and so fantastic to see these changes that even someone you know who was really having some challenges early on in life was able to make some major progress just by the food that she was eating and able to get off these really toxic medications and things like that. So definitely watch it. Even if you are totally all in keto, it kind of just makes you even more all in keto. And if you have any people in your life that are not on board or wishy-washy or anything like that, I think that's a really good place to send people, to direct them. It's pretty basic information. And will give people just a little bit more to think about when they are already assuming that keto or eating too much fat or whatever they think about what we're doing here in our Keto Lady space is a little iffy. It will give them a little bit more to think about, I think. So definitely steer people in that direction. And it's really well done and just interesting. One of the things that I loved most about that Documentary is the emphasis they put on the quality of the food. So, one of the people they interviewed was Joel Salatin, who is someone that I read he was a big portion of The Omnivore's Dilemma. It's a book. I'll link to it in the show notes. That book changed my whole perception on our food system and our food supply and what I should be eating. It was actually something that was required as part of the nutritional therapy practitioner training program I went through. So I really recommend that book. I'm totally getting off track now, but this is what we do here on Keto for Women. I really recommend that book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. I'm blanking on the the name of the author right now, but I'll link to it in the show notes or you can just search for it. You'll find it on Amazon. But really great book. And Joel Salatin was part of that book and he is basically deeply involved in the health of the environment and the soil and everything that we can do using our Food system and our animal food system, more specifically, to actually gain control of our environment. And it's super fascinating. And they talked about that and interviewed him in the magic pill. And that's something I find just absolutely fascinating, but also so necessary and just something I want to talk more about. I want all of us to talk more about and to do our part. And that's really, of course, besides the huge health benefits or health impacts that you can have from either grain-fed meat, for example, or grass-fed meat, you know, the difference there between it being very unhealthy for your body to then going to grass-fed and being very health-promoting to your body, just making that simple switch I think is so important, and that's why I talk about it literally all the time, but then also to understand more about the impacts on our environment and on our soil and what we are doing to our earth when we choose grain-fed versus what we're doing in a positive way. To benefit our environment when we choose grass-fed and specifically like the pasture-raised, like the really well-thought-out plan of how these animals actually help our environment when done correctly and really served with the right foods and in the right system. So that's really where, you know, I have this huge passion about the quality of meats and, you know, watch that documentary if you're still eating grain-fed beef and change your mind, maybe, maybe try something different. And this is really where having a company like ButcherBox who really takes this issue and turns it into some a non-issue for us, because we can make sure we're getting the highest quality meats that we can deliver to our door, you know, so we're not having to go out and search necessarily and and try to find the best or go to the grocery store and get something that claims it's grass-fed, but there's no measurement or no standard to that. They can say whatever they want to say. It's just marketing. So there are many, many stores who carry meat that says it's grass-fed, but is not actually 100% grass-fed. That is a huge difference, and it's a marketing tactic. So, you can take all that guesswork out of it and go along with Butcher Box. You know, they are a partner of the Keto for Women show for good reason, something I firmly believe in, the best meat I've ever had, but also making that positive impact on not only your health and your body and the health and bodies of your family, but also doing some good things for the environment. So, you, of course, get a deal. There's a new deal because Box always has these great new deals coming out. So if you go to seanminercom KFW, which stands for Keto for Women, then right now you get $20 off, which is a great deal, and you get some free bacon in your first order. So go to butcherbox.com slash KFW. That's butcherbox.com slash KFW stands for Keto for Women and get $20 off your order plus a free pound and a half of bacon. So delicious. The best bacon and really the best meat I've ever had. It's insane. So that's what I did this weekend. This was the first weekend of our July class of Fat-Burning femaleers. So we got them all settled, answered all their questions. Everyone's super excited and they're getting started with week one. So happy to have this new set of ladies. If you missed out on this chance or it wasn't a good time for you, a couple different things you can do. You can wait till September, which is when the next class will start. Or you can join in on the self-study of the Fat-Burning Female Project and kind of get started on your own and do it that way. So again, of course, the self-study is on your own terms, on your own time schedule, although it is a six-week class, same class, but you will not have access to the Facebook group for you know support. You won't have access to the live calls, which are Q&A calls that I do with the ladies. And of course, I'm there to answer all questions they have throughout the six weeks. And so that's not included in the self-study. But everything else is almost the same, a little bit less learning and more just going through the motions. Whereas, of course, in the actual project, there's lots of lessons. You just hear me talking a lot. So you'll learn a little bit more about why you're doing what you're doing and how to make it a lifestyle and that kind of stuff. So anyway, multiple choices for that. Now that we are at almost a thousand fat-burning femaleers out there, which is so exciting. Now that we're there, there's lots of you listening And just want to remind those that have been through the Fat-Burning Female Project that there's a retreat coming up in like two months. So we all get to meet in one spot under one roof and spend a weekend together in Boulder. And it's just been so beautiful here, although a little hot, but September will be a little cooler. It's just been so gorgeous here, though as to be expected. So if you haven't been to Boulder before, or even if you live in the area, which I know I do have quite a few local listeners and people that have been through Fat-Burning Female, then come join us in September. So look out for information for that. That's always in the forum of the class as well as on the Facebook group in Fat-Burning Female Project. All right, enough of that. Let's do some questions. Are we ready for questions? It's been a while, but I remember where I left off. Just as a reminder, in case this is the first time you're listening to a Keto Hot Seat episode by me, these are questions that I ask strictly through Instagram and Facebook. So they are social media questions. I have one post that I get these questions from. I ask for them in one particular day. I get them all, and then I slowly get through them depending on how many they have. I do not pre-read them or pre-note take or anything like that. This is completely off the cuff, which is how I prefer to answer questions, especially around keto. I think it just, I don't know, I have a better time of just speaking from the heart and from experience when I do it this way. So that means that there may be things that I get asked that maybe I don't know or I only have an opinion about and I don't have any sort of data or facts or studies about or anything like that. So just be prepared for that. And I am 100% okay with saying that I don't know. I will definitely always tell you that and just give you either a place to go or let you know I'll get back to you or something like that. So that means that it's just fun. We just have fun here on the Keto Hot Seat episodes. All right, let's do it. Let's see how many I can get through in the next 45-ish minutes. First one, can you supplement with glutamine while in ketosis? Yeah, absolutely. Glutamine is awesome. It is one amino acid in particular. L-glutamine specifically has been shown to be really great for gut health and supporting and healing the gut lining. So lots of people take it when they are working to heal their leaky gut. So, yeah, I think it's great. No reason not to take that while in ketosis. Do it. It helps lots of people. Can you talk about food sensitivities versus food allergies? How do you test for food sensitivities? Yeah, so a food allergy is you test for it more than likely using like a skin test. So, if any of you have ever had that where they basically sample a little bit of whatever item you're looking to see if you're allergic to, they put it on your skin. And if you have this allergic reaction, basically your skin puffs up, then that means you are allergic to that food or allergen or whatever it is. So a food allergy provides this allergic reaction to your body. So it's a different type of system. A food sensitivity is a reaction that is more so with your immune system. So basically kind of your immune system starts defending itself when in the presence of something that you're sensitive to. And also it causes an inflammatory response. Quite often. So, we're more so testing what your immune system and your inflammatory system does when in response to a certain food. So, to test for a food sensitivity, it's a blood test, and the lab puts a sample of your blood in with a sample of whatever food or anything that you're testing, and it looks for changes in those immune system markers or the inflammatory system markers. So like cytokines, the lab can see that change and know if that's something that is a reactive thing in your blood system or not. So that's really a huge difference. I mean, a lot of times a food allergy is something that you are born with or you develop really young. A food sensitivity, they can happen any time, quite often. And it's more so sensitivity comes about because of that leaky gut situation. So I've talked about this in the past, so I'm not going to go into it in huge detail here, but basically your gut has these essentially, we'll call them little cracks or leaks in your digestive system. And it allows undigested food particles to go into your bloodstream, your immune system, Recognizes that and, in an effort to help you, starts this process of defending itself against that invader. And so, then next time that is introduced, it will do that again and again and again. So, it becomes a food sensitivity. So, once that system has been healed, your gut no longer has these cracks or leaks, then they stay within the digestive tract and your body can kind of reverse out of that thinking it's an attacker situation and relax again, because things are staying where they should. There's no leak into the bloodstream, yada, yada, which I know I've talked about before. But that's kind of the very, very bare bones basic answer to that question. But yes, they are definitely different. And people have more food sensitivities than they do allergies. So just because you're not allergic to any food doesn't mean you're not sensitive to that food and vice versa. Just because you are sensitive to a food doesn't mean you're allergic to the food. So there's a lot of confusion in those words, but they're very different, different systems, different reactions in the body. And that's that. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on bioidentical progesterone. I'm almost 44 and my ND has had me on 50 milligrams for about three years for perimenopausal symptoms. About a year ago, my dose was increased to 100 milligrams. I take this 12 days out of the month. I do notice that I have good months and bad, and it's all related to my diet and stress levels. Now that I'm equipped with a better understanding of how keto works for women, I am wondering if I'll be able to fully heal and not need to take this. Any insight you have would be appreciated. Thank you for all you do thank you for listening. I think I've talked about this. If not, we're going to talk about it again. And if I have, we're doubling up. My thoughts on bioidentical progesterone and really bioidentical hormones in general, and this is completely based on what I have seen in my practice and continue to see in my practice pretty darn regularly, is that a lot of times that's used as a band-aid without looking deeper into what's going on. So of course, even naturopaths, even functional medicine docs, even nutritionists, whatever, they can still have a Band-Aid support system, which is similar to what prescription medications do, but of course, luckily on a lower level. So we are covering up the fact that your body is not producing progesterone by giving it progesterone. And even if it's bioidentical, It's just we're supplementing what your body is not doing on its own instead of finding out why it's not doing that on its own and working to heal that. And you say that you have good and bad months based on what you eat and how your stress level is. Well, there you go. So We know that that's probably the something deeper that needs to be looked into. What sort of stress are you putting yourself under and your body under? Have you actually worked to relieve that stress and get your body into a calmer place? and your mind, and your spirit, and all of that into a calmer place. That's what my first thing would be while supporting the endocrine system a little bit more naturally, and perhaps increasing your progesterone naturally. So my first argument, I guess you could say, against bioidentical hormones is the Band-Aid effect. My second one is that this is again what i see in my practice so often if you are going to do that if you're going to be taking bioidentical hormones you have got to retest your hormones a lot like monthly which is going to get expensive but you know using the salivary or the urine test you've got to keep an eye on your hormones because it's really difficult to monitor how that bioidentical hormone is taking in your body. So a lot of times, if you don't test frequently enough, and again, I see this all the time, they go crazy. And all of a sudden, you're way overdosed. Your levels are way high, whether it's estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. I've seen all of it. And it's like they're skyrocketed off the charts high. And so now you're feeling crappy for the other reason. And they're no longer working in the way that it should. So it has to be very closely monitored. If that's something that you and your doctor decide to do, monitor it because It can go awry and it's really hard to determine that because most of them are topical or sublingual or something like that. And it's hard to monitor how your body is taking it and absorbing it. So really make sure you're on top of it. But those are my two things I guess I would say about bioidentical hormones. It's not something that I do in my practice and it is for those two reasons that I don't. And I've seen really great results with women and their hormones without needing that because we actually dig, dig, dig to that root cause issue, which is always stress-based, but it's finding out why your body is so stressed and then we can take it to the next level and truly heal without even needing that. So of course, there's definitely the ability and the desire to heal without it and to even get off of it. So right now she's on it. Totally a great, great chance of getting off of it. If you can take everything that you're doing really seriously, find out what's going on in your body, heal that, get your body in a place of a stress-free, safe environment, and it will be easy to get off. The next one What lab tests should we ask for when we visit a doctor? Thank you for your podcast. Listen to all. Recommend you all the time. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. What lab tests should we ask for? So this is a really tough question because ideally you want to get as much testing done as you can. So first of all, it depends on your insurance and what you would be willing to pay out of pocket, what your doctor's willing to do there's a lot of variance in what our doctors are willing to order for us. And there's also a lot of variance in what our insurance is willing to cover for us. So it's a tough one. But of course, always get as much as you can, especially if you're going for like a general just lab work, blood test appointment, ask for all of it. Just tell them you want to know as much as you can. So of course, that's going to include the metabolic panel, which all of them do. And that looks a kind of some of the basic stuff, of course, should get your blood sugar markers tested. Now within that, all of them are probably going to do your fasting glucose. A lot of them are going to do your HbA1c, which is great, but most of them are not going to do your fasting insulin. That is one of the most important markers out there for all of us. We really all should know our fasting insulin level And that's something that we should be testing, I would say, every six months or so, especially if it comes back not okay the first time you know it, because that is a huge, huge reason as to why, I guess, keto isn't working for you. And this is something that I talked about in my video series about the keto roadblocks. So if you haven't watched those, go watch them, Keto roadblocks. You can find them over on the website, bit.ly slash Keto Roadblocks. That's bit.ly slash Keto Roadblocks. Go watch those. But, (laughs) sidetrack, but fasting insulin, that's one of the reasons why we struggle with keto, even when we're doing keto... 100% and we don't see weight loss or we don't see energy gain or mental clarity or all these things is because even though your blood sugar looks to be fine, your insulin levels are not fine. So really something that we all should know, seeing as we're in this space, and especially if you're in this space and not getting results. So that's going to be a hard one for some of us to argue to get with our doctor. But I would definitely recommend, even if it means paying out of pocket, I think it's pretty insignificant. I think it's worth it to pay, I don't know, probably between 30 and 50 bucks maybe to get that. I'm totally pulling that out of my hat by the way, I don't totally know the price. I know my practitioner price, but I don't know that. But still, at least ask about it. And then thyroid is another one you're going to want to look at. Again, that's one where they will test TSH for sure. Some will test T4 and free T4. Very few test T3 and free T3. And that's the one that matters the most because that is your active thyroid hormone. That is what your body actually sees and uses for those systems that use thyroid hormone. So really important to get all of that. And again, that's going to be something that I have had many clients have to fight with their doctor to get that and still not get it. So it might be something where you'd have to pay out of pocket or find a practitioner that does do that. So those are big ones. Of course, your cardiovascular markers are great, which you know most doctors are going to do. So I think as long as we can expand on the thyroid, expand on the blood sugar, like I just mentioned, get your vitamin D checked. Again, that's something that some will do, some won't do. And as much as you possibly can of anything else now, Here's the caveat. A lot of times we are able to get quite a bit tested, and the doctors, which they're trained to do, nothing against doctors. I love them all, <laughs> nothing against them whatsoever, but they are trained to go by the standard ranges. So, what I have seen is that this shows, oh, everything's fine, no big deal. And I know a lot of you get this because you go to the doctor and they, Tell you that everything looks good, your markers are all in place, nothing to worry about, but you're like, well, then why do I still feel like crap? Why do I still have this and this and this going on? So it doesn't make sense. But they're using a very, very wide range. So it's more important to get these tests, but then get someone who can read them, who will read them for a more functional perspective. So In the functional medicine world, those ranges are much smaller because we are not looking at basically everything's fine until it's not fine and you are diseased, essentially. You're sick. That's what the typical ranges do. We are looking, okay... When this gets a little high or a little low, this is a sign of something that could be progressing, especially when in combination with these other things that are also slightly high or slightly low. So it's a little bit more of a preventative look at things and seeing things that could be starting to go awry and switching that around and basically getting you back to healthy before it gets to this point of like, all right, disease has happened. You need this medication. That's where traditional medicine comes in. Functional medicine doesn't get you to that point. So that's totally like kind of a little bit of a soapbox, a soapbox situation for me to just let you know that you can get all the tests in the world. But if you're not seeing the right person, that's going to look at it from a different lens to let you know how you're actually doing before it gets too bad, then they're kind of pointless. And I hate to say that. I know it's a little harsh, but I really want to make sure that you ladies know that it also depends on who's reading them to know how you're actually doing. All right. We're going to move on because I could talk about that for a really long time. Can you tell me the pros and cons of fat bombs? Ooh, good question. I like this question. So the pros of fat bombs, I think we can all agree. First of all, most of them are pretty darn delicious. There are some great recipes for fat bombs out there. It's a really good portable fat. So of course, fat bombs are like 90% fat, usually have like a coconut base or a nut butter base, even like butter or something like that. So really good way to get in your fats, especially if you are having trouble increasing your fats to the point of getting into ketosis, then fat palms are a really great way to do that. And especially if you are in the car or need to go to work for a long period of time and don't have access to easy foods, fat bombs are so easy. They're also great for travel. That's a really awesome way to make sure that you stay keto while on vacation or on a long flight or something like that is to take fat bombs, have them already made to go. And again, another awesome thing is that you can make them ahead of time and just put them in the freezer for months at a time. So you can make a giant batch And just have these fat bombs ready to go for when you're in a pinch or you're not getting enough fat in a day. You can pop a few at night and get more fat in so that you stay in ketosis. All these great things. I would say the downsides are that a lot of them are sweet. So they are sweetened with some sort of sugar-free sweetener, stevia or xylitol or erythritol, something like that, which is fine. But, and I have had this discussion with you not long ago, if you're trying to break your sugar demon, it's going to take longer to do that if you're having a few fat bombs every day that are sweetened so that tastes basically like dessert. So I would say that's kind of my biggest thing is that most of them are still seen as like quote unquote treats. And so it gets to a point where you're basically having this dessert type thing all the time when, you know, desserts are desserts and treats are treats. And it's hard to break that mentality when that's something that I want for you all so badly. And one of the best things about going keto is to calm the sugar dragon and get your need to binge or your cravings or any sort of like having this attraction to carbs and sweets, which is me. Totally. It was me. But when you get off of that, it's really, really nice. It's very freeing. And I would like that for all of you because then suddenly like 95% dark chocolate tastes sweet. Or what was it the other day? I had something. Oh, the sna- I had sugar snap peas from the farm I belong to and they were so sweet. It was like dessert. So you want to get to that point. And I think that if you are having artificially sweetened fat bomb And relying on them, that would be a downside. So I would recommend finding a recipe for some that are very low in sweetener. Like the ones that I have, you put a few drops maybe of stevia optionally. But even that, it's such a small amount that it it makes it edible, I guess, but not sweet. So that's what you want to find. Not enough to where it's going to kind of wake up that sugar dragon. Even though it's technically not sugar, you're still going to have that same sense in your brain. Your brain doesn't know that it's not sugar. So keep that in mind. The only other thing that I would say is that they can also become almost like a crutch or addicting or something like that. I know there's a lot of people who are You know, they get mad at themselves, which never should happen, especially around food. But they, you know, get mad that all of a sudden they had like five fat bombs. They just kept eating them. Now they feel sick or too full or something like that. There's something about them that I think you can easily just keep popping them after you're already satisfied. And I think it does have to do with that sweetness factor that's being used. So keep that in mind, too. And that should go away also if you're making it more of a very, very edible but not sweet option. So keep that in mind. But great question. I don't think I've ever gotten that before. I've been on keto for about three weeks and days ago broke out in a painful rash on my back. I had my gallbladder removed five years ago. Are there any supplements I should take to get rid of the rash? I've read about upping my carb intake slightly. So that sounds like keto rash, which I've talked about in past episodes. And there's not a whole lot you can do. I've heard that like Epsom salt baths are good for it. You can put lavender essential oil to calm it down. I think that would be good for it. You can increase your carb. If you'd rather, because sometimes the keto rash happens just because it all happened too quickly, you know, that transition happened too quickly, especially as a woman. So you could back away a little bit and add some carbs and then slowly go back into a ketogenic state, just take a little bit more time. (laughs) And that could potentially keep that from happening again. So basically you would have to eat enough carbs to back yourself out of ketosis And then slowly work yourself back in. So, that would be probably the way to go if you don't mind doing that. If you don't mind getting out of ketosis, that would probably be the best way and see how that goes. It doesn't have to do with your gallbladder. And also, it is temporary. So, as soon as your body starts getting more efficient at burning ketones, then the acetone, which is what is causing the keto rash, the acetone is kind of getting detox from your body essentially through your skin. That will not happen anymore. And so it will go away it's all temporary. It's the same thing with like the way your breath smells different when you start keto. Sometimes your sweat smells different right when you start keto. These are all things that are based on that acetone level being higher in your body. But as you get more efficient at burning ketones, that goes away. So that doesn't matter anymore. So it is temporary. But if it's painful and you don't like it, then you could back out and try again and go a little slower. When is the best time of day to check ketones after eating food I'm not sure will kick me out of ketosis? I think that's part of the question. The best time of day to check ketones, like I say all the time, is I like to do it at least two hours after a meal or workout later in the day. So really for me, the best time is like that hour or so before dinner. So usually it's like five-ish o'clock. I haven't eaten anything for a while. I do my workouts in the morning. So it's been a while since I worked out. And That seems to be the best. If you are testing to see if a certain food works for you, then you want to do it at least two hours after that food. So, for instance, when I test carbs, like a sweet potato, I'll have the sweet potato for lunch. And then, say that's at one, then sometime between three and four, I'll test my ketones and see how that meal worked for me. Super easy. If you want to test a whole day, like how a whole macronutrient ratio day went for you. Say you tried to increase your protein and decrease your fat for a day or two. I would do that. And then the next day, test your ketones. So do that for a day or two. Next day, around that same late afternoon time, test your ketones and see how you're doing. That will show you how that's going. Moving on. I would love to hear more about keto and Hashimoto's autoimmune diseases. There's a lot of talk in these communities about keto being terrible for adrenal health, thyroid health, and even promoting fatty liver. I know I feel great, but is there any truth to what people are saying? Well, this is a whole reason why I have this Keto for Women show, my class, Faberating Female Project, and everything else I do. (laughs) So, Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about keto for adrenal, thyroid, hormones, whatever. And so, basically just listen to this podcast. I would even go back to the first few episodes. Within the first few episodes, there's one where I talk about this. I would say episode two or three, even one of the first ones I did because it's important to really like spend a whole lot of time on it. As far as for autoimmune disease, the same thing applies is just that it has to be done correctly. Same thing with adrenal health, same thing with thyroid health, same thing for hormones. Literally, like everything that could go awry and there are horror stories of it going awry out there in the world. It's because they were really, really stressing out their body. And most of them you can see are women. They really, really stressed out their body and their body reacted. If you don't stress out your body which keto is super unstressful to the body, very calming for the body. Once you are in this nice, healthy state of ketosis and you're eating enough food and you're getting enough nutrients and you're not fasting when you shouldn't be fasting and all these things that can easily be done wrong and then we freak our bodies out. But when you are doing it correctly and safely for the female body, it's amazing for these things. I'm someone that started keto with Hashimoto's on thyroid medication with major adrenal health issues just with all this stuff going on no period all these crazy things going on and I'm healthier than I've ever been and I've been keto the entire time so I know I'm just one person but I know I'm not the only one out there I have a lot of women doing this with Hashimoto's and seeing some really great benefits mine's completely in remission I am not on medication anymore and I feel great I feel great every day so It is possible. It has to be done correctly. You have to listen to your body. You have to eat enough food. You have to get into ketosis and stay there. You have to eat enough fat. I mean, there's so many things. All the things I talk about on every episode. So, yeah. And then just really remember, again, we just talked about this last week when we talked with Christina about autoimmune disease, is that you need to work on your immune system. Ketone production is amazing for the immune system, which is what will heal your autoimmune disease. So I hope you go back and listen to some of the episodes where I talk about this in more detail. That would be really, really helpful. But I have seen so many people get help with their autoimmune disease and put Hashimoto's in remission and keep it there and feel amazing on keto. And I'd love for you to do that too. How can someone with a history of fibroids benefit from the keto lifestyle while also trying to conceive? So this is just going to be an opinion-based answer, not something that I have a whole lot of experience with. So I'm just going to say that, being that it's the keto hot seat, put that out there. But what I would assume is that fibroids are the culprit of hormone imbalance in women. So if you're dealing with fibroids or you have in the past, that means that you've also had a hormonal imbalance of some sort that your body has been trying to deal with. This also, you're trying to conceive. So again, like multiple reasons as to why you just want to balance out your hormones. Keto is going to do that for you. Again, back to the last answer. If it's done correctly and safely for the female body, huge caveat that you have to do that. If you do that, it's going to be great. And not only are the fibroids in the past, not going to be an issue, but you're going to have this nice balanced hormonal system and you're going to be able to get pregnant. So lots of reasons for that. Just remember it needs to be done safely and effectively. We talk about this every episode on Keto for Women. So I would recommend continuing to listen and going back and listening. I have multiple episodes on pregnancy and fertility not that long ago actually and just making sure to follow keto with enough nutrients and enough food and not fasting and all that stuff. What is your take on fat fasting in the morning and eating around noon? I've been doing keto since January, but I'm not producing ketones consistently. Although when I do eat about 78 to 80% fat, that's where I see my ketones. Haven't seen much weight loss, but I know my body is healing. I'm also learning my body. Just not sure if I'm doing it right. Okay. So what I would unpack from this question is that you're learning. You have some healing to do you're not sure if you're doing it right, I would say since you are not producing ketones consistently and you're learning about your body, then that's your answer as to if you're doing it right or not. I'm saying right the entire time using air quotes because... The right is right for her. So it may not be right for all the rest of us, but for this person asking, she's trying to find out if she's doing it right and she's trying to learn to listen to her body. So your body not producing ketones consistently is one of your clues that something's not right for you. That's exactly what that means. So now we can take this information and start changing things. So as of right now, she has been 78 to 80% fat and not producing ketones consistently. I'm not sure if she's doing the fat fasting and eating around noon currently or what, but sounds like it's not working. (laughs) So actually, this might be a place where maybe you do need more protein. Maybe you do need more carbs. Maybe you don't need to be 80% fat. I know that sounds counterintuitive with not producing ketones and reducing your fat, but it might be a case where that's stressing your body out and stress is going to keep you from getting into ketosis and producing ketones. So it might be a place where you can experiment with different macros and see if you, even temporarily, maybe you just, body just needs a break. So slightly reduce that fat, slightly increase the protein and see how that works. And I'm talking like minor changes, right? Just like Take a serving or two of fat away, add in a serving or two of protein and see how that goes. See if you feel better, see how your ketones are doing. Fat fasting in the morning and eating around noon. I don't love that. Actually, I think that right there. And if you're doing this, it could be just that change that needs to happen. I think Our bodies as females do a little bit better with having at least a little bit of protein and or carb with our morning meal. This is just what I have seen in myself and with my clients in the Fat-Burning Female Project. So, you know, I'm just gauging this based on what I have seen in the vast majority of people I've worked with that the body and our adrenals because our adrenals are very active in the morning. That's when we have the highest or supposed to have the highest level of cortisol, which most of us don't at this point, but we can really boost that up and keep that nice, active adrenal health that we should have in the morning with a little bit of carb, or a little bit of protein, or just a nice little balance of that in the morning. So that's why I really like something like eggs or chia pudding, and not just having fatty coffee. I see this all the time. As soon as I make a woman add food to their fatty coffee, life changes. So I don't love that idea. I think if that's what you're doing currently, and you're not really getting the results you're looking for, and you're not consistently in ketosis add some more stuff to your morning, have a breakfast, have a lunch, have a dinner (laughs) and see how that goes. But yeah, it's totally the whole thing I see in this question is just that what's happening right now isn't working because she's not producing the ketones she's looking for on a consistent basis. So you got to change something. And if 80% fat isn't doing it, then I don't really think 90% fat is, but maybe 77 or 75% fat and a little bit more protein. And you guys know I don't ever talk percentages. I'm just giving an example because she gave a percentage. But you know, changing that out a little bit might make all the difference. And if you currently are fat fasting, stop doing that. See if that makes the difference. It's all about testing your own body. Next up. Can you please talk about how changing to keto can help with anxiety and depression? Yes, I can, but I'm going to have a guest on that's going to explain it better in the future, so be on the lookout for that. But really what we want to do is change the mitochondria or I guess increase the mitochondria in our brain. And that's what ketone production does. So mitochondria are little energy factories in our cells all throughout our body, but specifically in the brain is where we can produce more of them or get the ones that are there to work more efficiently as well. Then we have a better connection system in our brains, kind of like this electric communication system that goes on in our brain. And that communication system gets much more refined and much more efficient and much stronger when we have this increase in mitochondria or better functioning mitochondria, which both happen when ketones are fueling the brain and allowed to cross the blood-brain barrier, which is what ketones do. So Right there, just that in itself is a huge reason why we see so much improvement with people with anxiety and depression when they go keto is because the brain is functioning so much better. The neurotransmitters are functioning and communicating so much better. And so we have this balance that we haven't had before. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that a lot of anxiety and depression, these kinds of mood issues are tied to blood sugar response. So blood sugar swings cause us to have this anxiety and depression and anger and frustration and all that stuff. And when that balances out, our mood balances out too. So it could be something as simple as that, depending on how severe your case is. It could be something as simple as that. We're taking out your blood sugar swings, evening out That to be on the baby roller coaster, which I refer to all the time, of blood sugar will just immediately you will see these changes in your mood, which is so great too. So multiple reasons as to why, again, basic, basic simplification of that system, but I hope that makes sense. I work 12-hour nights with a commute of 1.5 hours to and from each way. My first day, I'm up for almost 24 hours. Therefore, I eat more but stop eating on my break around 10 to 10.30 p.m. Then eat fats in the morning on my way home. Sleep, then eat at 3.30. Oh, this is getting confusing. My first meal, then again at 10 to 10.30. Second meal. What would be the suggested meals and timing for someone who works nights? That totally depends on the person. Eat when you're hungry. Make sure to eat enough food. And that's about it. Those are really the only two criteria. So eat a normal breakfast, lunch, dinner, or if you're only having two meals, make them really big meals. And if you're hungry, eat a snack. If you're hungry before bed, eat before bed, which is a different time than you know a lot of us. So I don't have a specific schedule. The same thing when I don't have a specific schedule for those who are eating at regular times, eat lunch when you want lunch, eat dinner when you want dinner. The same thing goes if you're on a different schedule because that's how you truly become intuitive and not on anybody else's plan. Can you talk more about lifting heavy and doing keto? Ooh, I'm going to like this already. I stopped lifting from my transition into ketosis, and now I've been in ketosis for about a week, and I'm wondering how long I should wait to start lifting again. Is there a process you would recommend? Start light with high reps or half of my max from before getting into ketosis? I'm missing lifting like crazy and just ready to get back at it, but don't want to be counterproductive. Thanks. So no, I think that you should just go back and do what you can do. So again, just as much as we want to be intuitive with our food, we want to be intuitive with our workouts and our exercise. So if you go back to the gym and you start lifting and what you're used to doing for 10 reps feels heavy and almost impossible at seven, then stop. You're still getting the benefits. You're just listening to your body and stopping before it gets to be too much, before you start you know, having some adrenal crash or getting injured or something like that. So more than likely, you're going to be able to go back. You've been in ketosis for a week. You're going to be able to go back and be fine. You'll go right back to doing what you're doing. You might notice a little slump for maybe another week or two, but then you'll be right back at it and probably end up feeling even better than before you were in ketosis and lifting. So that was my experience at least. So just really listen to your body. This is where there's no like one prescription needed to do anything. It's just what feels best for you and using this time to really understand when your body's saying like, okay, I don't need to do another rep. This is plenty and don't push it beyond that. So of course we need to have the discussion though, that if you are working out No matter what you're doing, especially if you are starting to feel really good with keto, you feel like your body's starting to heal, good things are happening, then it's okay to push yourself in the gym to a certain degree. You know, if we're on a scale of one to 10 and you're feeling good, you feel like your energy's getting better, your sleep's really good, everything's kind of falling into a place, then you could push yourself to like some people an eight or nine. If you're not quite there yet, then like a six or seven. And we're talking on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like, you might as well just pass out because you just worked out really hard. You know, we don't want to get to that point, but we could get close. Like someone like me, I'm finally at this point where I can push myself on some days to an eight or nine and I feel fine. I feel fine afterwards. I feel fine the next day. It increases my energy, makes me feel really good. I'm happy about it, but I wasn't always there. You know, even a few months ago, is that more of a six or seven? But it should always be this place where you can push yourself a little bit and not too much. And that pushing yourself slightly out of the comfort zone is where results happen. So we don't want to be complacent with that. Carly, you know what you're doing, it sounds like. So just make sure you listen and don't get frustrated. If you do have to go back a little lighter or do a few less reps, you'll get right back to it. Promise. I never hear anything about tofu and tempeh on keto. Ooh, I'm going to like this question too. I love and eat meat, eggs, and the like, but some days I just get sick of it and want something else. What are your thoughts on eating soy products a few times a week as long as it's non-GMO? Soy products are not something that I am a huge fan of and not something that I promote specifically because soy, first of all, like you mentioned, really hard to find good quality non-GMO. It's a very, very heavily sprayed product, heavily mass-produced product in our crop system. So very hard to find a good quality one that's not toxic, but also because soy is very estrogenic and it can really, really disrupt your hormones if you're eating even like some. (laughs) It is an estrogenic food and has shown, there's lots of studies that show the impact that it does have on hormones in males and females. So I think it's best just to stay away simply for that fact. I don't really want to do anything to disrupt my hormone balance, especially not eat food that's not really all that good in my opinion, but I've never been a fan of tofu or soy products or anything like that. If it occasionally sneaks into some like gluten-free soy sauce or something like that occasionally, or some edamame if you're out having sushi or something like that, I think that's fine. But to do it on a pretty regular basis, and you're saying two to three times a week, would really take a chance of some significant things happening to your hormone balance in your body. So not personally what I would recommend, but again, you have to do what you feel is right for you. All right, I'll do one more. I've been keto for about five months. Before keto, I had restless legs after going to bed most nights. After keto, it happens less frequent and to a milder degree. Any thoughts on what may cause restless legs at night? Yes, it is more than likely your electrolyte balance or imbalance, I guess we should say. This is really a case where taking things like magnesium, taking some electrolyte support, especially while in ketosis, to really help with your electrolyte balance and your water balance, adding salt to your water. So, good high quality pink Himalayan sea salt or gray Celtic sea salt, something like that, to your water throughout the day. The reasons why I recommend this so often is because of that electrolyte balance that is so important. And keto. Sometimes helps with that and actually sometimes hurts with that. It depends on the person. Sounds like for you, it's actually helping because you're having milder restless leg, but continuing on and adding those extra supports in the way of supplements, which you can go back to episode 19 or 16, one of those around there and get the supplements I recommend, get that guide, but you can add those back in and that should improve it further. I do also think there's probably maybe a blood sugar reaction or some sort of blood sugar tie perhaps to that, especially since you are noticing it getting better with keto. Perhaps it is also a response to having a blood sugar swing or dip too. So I could see that being something that would be connected. Again, this is an opinion thing, not something I have any studies or proof or anything like that. I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now how I could see maybe the combination of the needing of the minerals and that electrolyte imbalance and needing to get your blood sugar response in check. The combination of the two would definitely help restless leg once you go keto, but then Even more so as you continue that, so as you get further along in your keto journey and you add in those supplements, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not an issue for you at all. So check out both of those. I think obviously as far as the blood sugar stuff goes, you're doing it all right. You're doing keto, so you're working on that already. Nothing more you need to do there except to just be a little bit more patient, but you should see that continue to improve and then add those supplements that will help. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to chat about FabFitFun, this episode's sponsor. If you don't know already about FabFitFun, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. What I love most about FabFitFun is how they pay attention to the choice of the products they're putting in their boxes, which include high-quality, non-toxic, and organic ingredients. I just received my summer box and it has so much great stuff in it. There are things like eyeshadow palette and eyeliner from my favorite non-toxic makeup brand Tarte, a natural and organic charcoal body scrub, a really cute cosmetic bag, and even a Pier 1 jewelry holder. That's just the beginning of it too. There's so much more in there. I think it's such a fun thing for a lady to treat herself to, or would even make a really good gift for a friend or family member, some lady in your life. Don't miss out though, because they sell out fast. So you want to order yours, check them out at fabfitfun.com, and you can use the code KETO, the number four women, and save $10 off your first box. That's KETO, the number four women, that makes that first box $39.99 so much fun. You guys deserve to treat yourself. I think this is a really fun way to do so beyond just talking about food all the time. Now we have some other stuff that we can put into our lives to make us feel good. All right we're going to stop there. Great questions, everybody. Man, I love doing this. Still have lots to go. So we have a few more. I'm going to probably have to double up to get all of these in. So no problem because we love it, right? And that will close out this episode of Keto for Women. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.